What's going on, Metal Maniacs? You got Tom. And you've got George. And you've got another, another podcast, podcast coming. coming. That was our best one yet, I think. As far well, It's kind of hard on Zoom with the whole delay, but you know yeah. what? Close enough. Yeah, man. And honestly, like after this week, we'll be getting back into doing these in person anyway. So yeah, I'm stoked. Yeah, but as we record this, it's January 1st. So wishing all you metal maniacs a very, very happy new year. And it's going to be filled with lots of metal partying and good times. Mm. What are you drinking over there? Oh, man. So this was actually a bit of a surprise that my wife just pulled out. I've actually had this for a while. The, all of the liquor stores around me are closed right now because the, the day after New Year's. So this is Dreamatorium. And Dreamatorium. This, yeah, a, a collaboration. Dreamatorium Deceiver. <laughs> yes. From Skygazer Brewery. So this is one hell of a brew, George. So I've, I want to just describe the album artwork. Uh, not <laughs> I want to describe the can artwork for a minute because it really is something. It's very sort of Lovecraftian. There's a man who has like tentacles for a face and he's just stumbled upon what looked to be a treasure trove of raspberries and granola and chocolate and human skulls. And according to the label, this is stout with raspberries, granola, yogurt, cacao nibs, and lactose. And it, it has 11.3% alcohol by volume. Well, damn. Yeah. So what better way to ring in our first episode of season two on this January 1st with a knockout of a beer. What would you be sipping on tonight, my good friend? I'm not having beer at the moment. Just drinking mm. nice seltzer. Ah, nice old great. boring seltzer with zero calories. <laughs> I, I, I had really... my fair share on New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Like Honestly, oh. I, I do love me a nice crisp seltzer, my guy. And fun fact, I met my wife on December 31st of 2013. Wow. So actually eight years to the day we met now. <laughs> well, congratulations, man. That's amazing. I'm really happy to hear that. Yeah. New Year's Eve is always really special for us because of that. And oh. you know what? We had a great party last night. Uh, not too many people because the virus has been going around where we live so we had to scale it back and keep it relatively chill, but we still had lots of fun and we're going to have yeah. even more fun getting into our first song from Defenders of the Faith today. Yes. So we've yet to cover anything off of Defenders of the Faith. And this is um, kind of a point of not contention between the two of us, but definitely something we don't agree on. I don't much care for defenders of the faith. And I went back this week and I was listening to the 30th anniversary edition. And while I definitely enjoyed it, I can't say that there were too many songs that really stood out in my mind. So what is your take on this album? Defenders of the faith for me, it's up there with the best priest albums, man. Mm. So like we said in our bonus episode, if you caught that, if not, no worries. We are doing an anniversary series this year where every studio album on the anniversary of its release, we will be covering a song from that album. And Defenders of the Faith came out 38 years ago in 1984 on January 4th. So we're here to sort of celebrate that. It's 38 years of Defenders of the Faith. And if you know me, you probably know that this is one of my favorite Priest albums, maybe even one of my favorite metal albums. I mean, just look at that shirt. It is a beautiful shirt. I yeah. saw that and I thought it was rather apt that you wore that for this episode. 
Oh man, it's just an iconic album cover, man. It's yeah. monsterful. It is monsterful. I will say the album cover is fantastic, but Priest has never ever lacked for good album art, except for Rockarola. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> we're not talking about that. No, we're not Rockarola. We gotta say for another episode. But the fact remains that. As far as you and me are concerned, we have differing opinions on Defenders of the Faith. Yeah, that's okay. And you know, Defenders, it's not for everyone. There's no Priest album that pleases everyone. Yeah. And Defenders of the Faith, it doesn't have something like heading out to the highway or living after midnight or Turbo Lover. There's nothing poppy or commercial on defenders of the faith at all it's a very dark and brooding album and it's very i want to say sometimes it's melancholy and sometimes it just feels brutal like maybe not painkiller brutal but at times like especially on the heavier songs like the sentinel Yeah. And, you know, this is actually something that I really wanted to bring up as we go into this episode. So the subject of today's show is some heads are going to roll. So we put out a poll on Twitter and we chose four songs off Defenders of the Faith. We really wanted fan input for this episode. And the song that by and far most of our listeners chose was Some Heads Are Gonna Roll. So if you'll indulge me for just a second, I want to just read a few lyrics off the first verse. Yeah, why don't we do that? We'll start this one by breaking down the theme of the song. Okay. Perfect, man. So here's the opening lines. You can look to the left and look to the right, but you will live in danger tonight. When the enemy comes, he will never be heard. He'll blow your mind and not say a word. Blinding lights, flashing colors, sleepless nights. If the man with the power can't keep it under control, some heads are going to roll. Now, those are fantastic lyrics, as always. Yes. Rob, Rob Halford is really bringing his A-game when it comes to the lyrical content of this song. Uh, all right. Now, here's the thing. This is one of the few Judas Priest songs that was not written by the band. Oh, they actually my. worked with an outside songwriter, and basically... They asked someone to write a song for Judas Priest, and they did. And they delivered basically a fully formed song, and the band played it. Okay, Uh, so... And this was written by Bob Halligan Jr. Mm. It's the second time he worked for Judas Priest. He did Take These Chains on Screaming for Vengeance two years earlier. Really? Because Take These Chains is one of my favorite songs off that album. So it's kind of that's actually kind of funny. Yeah, so Bob Halligan Jr., he had that short partnership with Judas Priest. He Mm. gave them two songs, and both of them ended up being pretty popular songs, too. Yeah, and Bob Bob Halligan played with the band Cecil Rain, too. So they've got a Are you familiar with them? Not so much, but they do have a pretty expansive discography, which is surprising to me that more people haven't heard of them. Like I've heard that name Cecil rain before. And I thought Cecil rain was a person. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like one. Yeah. It sounds like some kind of artist name, but what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to drive as that this guy's got some chops. He's got some really good songs on in his um, repertoire. Yeah. Very respectable songwriter. 
I don't really know much of what he's done outside Priest, but you know, at some point, maybe I'll get interested and see if I can dig into that a little. But going back to those lyrics you mentioned before, yeah, give me more of your interpretation on that. So this kind of reminds me of, it almost sounds like an invading army coming in, like either, I mean, when you hear some heads are going to roll, the first thing that comes to my mind is the guillotine or an axe of some kind. Mm -hmm. So here's the, like, this comes, this is the second verse. The power mad freaks who are ruling the earth will show little they think you're worth. With animal lust, they'll devour your life and slice your word to bits like a knife. One last day, burning hellfire, you're blown away. If the man with power can't keep it under control, some heads are going to roll. This very much, to me, sounds like some sort of revolutionary uprising is in progress as the song as the song is beginning So I think it becomes a lot more clear in the second verse that the song is about or probably is about exactly what you're saying. It's about a revolution. And when you say guillotine, uh, that's probably right on the money because, you know, the guillotine was an invention to cut heads off. And if you can believe it, know that. And if you can actually believe it, it was considered much more humane than other execution methods of the time right (laughs) it's like listen it's gonna be fine we're just gonna remove your head with a giant razor it'll be over in a second yeah well hey they used to have to use an axe and it might take like five or six swings for the axeman to fully detach someone's head the guillotine they just does it nice and quick yeah there's this one scene in the book a storm of swords where Rob Stark is executing a man and he's got like a halberd to do it. And it takes him like two or three good swings just to remove this guy's head. And I remember thinking, wow, that is savage. The guillotine, like while it didn't always kill with one stroke, it was definitely more efficient at removing heads. Yeah. And the guillotine was used to remove lots and lots of heads during the French Revolution. Now, I did, I tried doing a little research and I found someone who suggested the song is about King Louis XVI, the final monarch of France and Mm. the king who was overthrown during the French Revolution. Mm. I haven't really found anything that, that confirms that. It seems likely because of the references to heads rolling could be the guillotine, but also, you know, you could look at this song in a little more of a vague sense and you could try to relate it to basically any sort of uprising against tyranny. I mean, Priest is like almost never extremely specific with the lyrical content of their music. It's almost always broad. And if you think about it, this could be a revolutionary uprising from just about any period in history. Like, but you do know what's at stake and you do know that a power structure is being challenged. Now, as far as this person's own interpretation of the song goes, that could, that's very much their truth. But this is a very interesting song because at the same time as it's specific, it's about a topic of revolution it's also vague because it's not like they're telling you where it's happening or whose heads are gonna roll right just that you know that heads will be removed from shoulders at some point (laughs) that they will they're gonna roll man hey listen if rob halford says it it will happen yeah so now with 
the whole theme of the song solidified. Let's see if we can go back to the lyrics in the first verse and sort of try and figure out how they relate to the theme of revolution. Because I had a little trouble with that at first. I didn't really start picking up on the lyrics until it got into the second verse. Okay. So you can look to the left and look to the right, but you will live in danger tonight. I think that that might mean don't trust the people around you because anyone who you see could be on the opposing side. When the enemy comes, he will never be heard. He'll blow your mind and not say a word. Mm. Now, I think what that's trying to describe is how the sort of tyrannical governments happen. It sort of happens so subtly that they take over that you don't even realize you're in sort of a tyrannical or fascist situation until it basically it's too late and that person has already solidified their power. Well, that's really the whole thing, you know, is that by the time these people come into power, like you said it best, it's already too late. And the thing is, is that especially in the beginning, political terror is usually pretty arbitrary. So yeah, you're going after very specific targets you're probably going after people like politicians or late night rattler like that's a little too contemporary hold on like clergymen who are corrupt um anyone who would have been associated with the state at the time or just random people that they found on the streets because in order for political terror to be effective like i said it has to be arbitrary to keep people afraid that they could be the next victim it's a really effective tool at keeping people in line. Yeah, that's right. And you also get these references in the lyrics, sort of portraying the revolutionaries as being looked down on or sort of powerless in comparison to the whole government or whatever sort of leadership structure they're challenging, because it says like, the power mad freaks who are ruling the earth will show how little they think you're worth. Mm. And then later when you get to the bridge, know what it's like when you're taken for granted. There goes your life. It's so underhanded. There's one line that repeats throughout the song that really speaks to me and kind of encompasses the theme really well. If the man with the power can't keep it under control, some heads are going to roll. So I love that line right before the chorus. That is fabulous. So there's an idea that if you can't appease the people that you are ruling over, then they're going to come after you, especially when you are talking about like a total dictator or monarch where every single decision that gets made comes from a single person. Therefore, all of the responsibility rests solely on them. So if your citizenry gets completely fed up and decides, okay, that's it, we, we're, we're storming the capital then you've got a big problem on your hands because you have to be able to contain that because if you don't, it's your ass. Yeah, sure. I mean, how many times in the course of world history have we seen a really terrible fascist dictator rise up? And then what's the end game? They're always, always end up being taken down. Well, maybe not every time, but Mm -hmm. Uh, at the very least, they'll die of old age at some point. Yeah, very, very kind of strange anecdote about that is that when Francisco Franco died, you know, Francisco Franco was the dictator of Spain up until about 1979. There wasn't like some sort of uprising to dislodge the fascist dictatorship that had taken over. They just voted that they weren't going to be a fascist dictatorship anymore. And that was the end of it. And that's so funny to me because usually fascist dictators wind up either covered in petrol and on fire or hanging from their feet in town square. 
So the fact that it was just kind of like, all right, well, we don't want to be fascist anymore. That's really, really interesting to me. That's strange. Usually, like, a dictator will install a successor for when they die. And then in Spain, they were just like, eh, nah, I don't feel like it anymore. Eh, let's be democratic now. Yeah, now Spain is a democratic monarchy, and I have no idea how the fuck that works, but it works for them. So good for you, Spain. Good for you, Spain. Mm. It is very interesting, though, the way that these power dynamics play out throughout history, because you have some total dictators who rule with an iron fist and they die peacefully in their beds. And then you have others who, through their sheer incompetence, once they assume office, that ultimately leads to their downfall. Because, you know, the power of rhetoric does not directly translate to the ability to govern. Rhetoric only can get you so far. Yeah. And then once someone gets into power, uh, people find that the person they voted for is lacking in the ability to actually govern. Yes. He might be a great speaker, like, but just the ability to have compelling words come out of your mouth doesn't actually mean you know what you're doing. Yeah, precisely. And I think that this song is like, while it's not exactly that specific, it does speak to this idea that if you are gonna put yourself in that position of total authority you better know exactly what you're doing because otherwise if, man you're done people are coming after your ass yeah and they're gonna get you there is nothing in the world more powerful than an enraged and resentful population of people oh hell yeah dude like they'll overwhelm with sheer numbers where yeah. they lack in the military power Yes. So this is a song that, as far as I can tell, it seems to be about some sort of either some sort of revolutionary uprising or even like a authoritarian takeover. You could interpret it both ways. That's kind of interesting to try and interpret it from the other end, mm. because if it's about an authoritarian takeover, that's not really such a far reach because a lot of those people consider themselves the hero in their own story. Mm. And even though the majority might disagree with them, they still look at themselves in that sort of way, mm. how they think they're the revolutionary who's saving everyone when they're really doing the opposite. Yeah. Well, what's happening in a lot of cases is that you're just, you're trading one brutal dictator for another. Um, I'll, you know, for the most part, I would probably think that most people, especially political figures, think that they're the good guy, that they're the savior in this story, for the most part, especially young upstart dictators who, you know, espouse this rhetoric of I'm the strong man who is going to save our country from the corrupting influence of outside forces. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, so we've really gone deep on these lyrics, got a whole big discussion on dictatorships going and what sort of makes that psychologically viable. Mm. And then, you know, this song has sort of lyrics that really, I think, summarize quite well how oppressed people are feeling. Mm. And if you want to sort of take a step back and interpret the song a little more generally in terms of how it relates to people's lives. Any sort of oppressed person can kind of get a little something out of these lyrics. I mean, whether you're just, whether you're discriminated against for a certain characteristic, or maybe you've had an abusive relationship, 
I think that basically anyone who's been oppressed can find something in these lyrics to sort of latch onto. Oh, for sure. You could take this and it can become very deeply personal to you. Hell, if you are a person who's even in an abusive relationship with a tyrannical partner, you can find, or even like if you have a tyrannical boss in your workplace or you're being harassed by some kind of bully, you can find meaning in this song and in these lyrics. And I think, again, that's part of the real power of Priest is that even when you've got a song like this that is a little more specific in its lyrical content, there's still a vast array of interpretations that can be drawn from it. And unlike a song like One on One, which is just kind of very edgy and like, I'm a fucking badass. This song is dark with a purpose. It's painting a picture to in order to convey a certain type of emotion. And it's incredibly organic in doing that. Yeah. And I think that it really helps that beyond the lyrics, there's also an awesome song there. Yes. Because the guitar riff, it's pretty simple and it's easy to latch on to. And Rob, he's delivering those lyrics so freshly. Like he's an absolute animal on the microphone in this one. I Mm. especially love the ending part when they do the third chorus and then they break it down. And then Rob comes back in with the no, no. He really sells it there. I think that this is a song that they could really sink their teeth into. This is very much Priest. And if you hadn't told me that it had been written by another person, I would have just assumed that this is standard Rob Halford lyrics here. Because underneath very well all, written. It is. And underneath that is a fantastic song that the band felt. You can feel the passion. That's the thing about Def- Defenders of the Faith where I will give credit is that there's a ton of passion in that album. It's really a work of love. It's very, it's raw. It's emotive. It is a statement album more so than probably any of their other work. And I can absolutely appreciate it on that level. I, I don't hate this album by any stretch of the imagination I do think it's a little overrated. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. I mean, I take a ton of heat on Twitter for saying screaming for vengeance is overrated. Yeah. That's an argument that's (laughs) never, ever going to end. Yeah. You know, much man. It's, I like that. We're just honest and upfront about our opinions. You know, you don't, you shouldn't feel like you have to lie. It's not cool to pretend that you like something that you really don't like. Hmm. And I like and going into our second season of Metal Gods is going to be a probably more of that than in season one. You know, we've got a lot more. We do have like some controversial opinions when it comes to Priest. And I really want to get that out into the open, into the ether, because it does create amazing conversations on the Twitter sphere. That it does. So despite Defenders of the Faith being overrated in your book, would you say this is one of the highlights some heads are going to roll, maybe alongside the Sentinel for you personally? Oh, sure. Absolutely. This was the song, you know, when we decided that this is what we were going to cover this week, I actually went back and I listened to the 30th anniversary edition of Defenders. Yeah, and- the concert included on Defenders 30. 
mm-hmm. is awesome. That's Priest in their prime. Yeah, I haven't gotten to listen to that portion, but that's on my list for the week as part of my commute to work to get me jazzed up for picking up and putting down brown boxes. <laughs> so for delivering the goods. Yes, which is exactly what I'm about. So I will say some heads are going to roll. I completely understand why this is the song that our listeners wanted us to talk about. It is for me the standout track on the album and definitely the one that is the most of an earworm i mean come on man some heads are gonna roll is a fantastic chorus and it just yeah, it's really easy it's really easy and simple to latch onto, but it's badass just like the whole just the that set of five words Some heads are going to roll. It commands power behind it. It does. And you feel that power. Like you can like get, you get chills up your spine hearing something like that, because in the moment when Halford is belting his lyrics, he means it. He means every single word of that line. And so it's more of like a warning than anything else. If you were to show this song, to a corrupt leader in your country, some sort of dictator, or even just like a corrupt public official, it might be enough to get them to shit themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Under the right circumstances. I mean, I it definitely would be for me, man. Like, like some heads are going to roll. That's not a threat. That's a promise. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. It's almost like the lyrics are commanding like you say it's not just like it's not strictly a warning it's more of a threat Mm. there is this saying that is popular among liberal democracies that power is derived from the consent of the governed and there's a lot of truth in that because the real truth of the matter is that a person only has power if people believe they have power and the second people stop believing that and that's it, they're just another person. And this is a song about, in my interpretation, a person who is very clearly losing their power because especially the line, if the man in power can't keep it under control, Yeah. Hey, listen, if you can't keep the population happy, just like you said, then you're going to lose everything you have. Yeah. And this is an instance of that happening of a dictatorship that is on its last legs. Yeah. Almost sort of the calm before the storm. Mm -hmm. Like if, if we're talking French revolution, then this song is the late 1700s when it's right about to get started. So you mentioned that you think that this song is really kinetic and I agree with you. And that is a part of the reason why it comes across really well live. And this song was actually a huge staple in the set list during the eighties and priest played this pretty much every night from the Defenders tour onward until Rob left the band in was a staple and inexplicably priest never played the song with tim owens and they waited a really really long time to ever bring it back into the set and you probably guessed it 
2018's Firepower Tour is when some heads got to roll on the stage once again. Yeah. And we were lucky enough to be there for it because Priest did play some heads are going to roll at the show your hosts went to back then. And with any luck, they're going to play it at the show your hosts are going to in a few months. If Yeah, I really hope they play at least one song from Defenders. You know, when we went to that show in 18, I was not as familiar with their discography as I am now. And that's why I'm really excited to see them for a second time, because there's going to be a lot more material for me to really latch on to. I don't know what is up with my brain, but I scarcely remember concerts. Like It's because you're living in the moment so much. You've told me that before. Yeah, I think so, because I'm just there and I'm ex- like, don't get me wrong. I can remember, you know, the experience I had, like what I was feeling, what I was doing and whether or not it was blowing my mind. But I cannot remember specific songs for the most part, like. If you asked me, for example, oh, what songs did they play on that tour? I'd be like, I I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's also four years ago. So, oh, my God, it's been four fucking years. But I mean, think about like any concerts you went to four or five years ago. And I don't think it's just you. Like, I'll remember bits of it, but it's not like a movie that I watched yesterday. Fair enough. I remember, I do remember about maybe five or six years ago going to see Belfagor play, and I was probably high for this show. And I just remember just flashing lights and them playing just super brutal satanic metal. And they had flashing this guy. <laughs> they had this guy come out in a like a full priest getup, like with um, like one of those incense cans, just like blessing the whole crowd. It was a overwhelming experience. I would highly recommend seeing Belfigor live. Yeah, and see, you remember the cool parts. You remember the unique things that they did. You remember mm-hmm. sort of the memorable moments. But I'm guessing you don't recall the performance of every single song during that show. That is exactly correct. Yep. So, like, I'll think about concerts I went to 10 years ago, and I'm not going to remember, oh, that's the Suffocation concert where they played Jesus Wept and blah, 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 blah. I don't remember a concert like that. I remember it like, oh, yeah, that's the Suffocation concert where I got knocked out in the pit for, like, five (laughs) or ten seconds. Yeah, I get that. I Although, oddly enough, you know what I do remember? I remember years ago, we were still in high school, and we went to see for your birthday, it was... Um, Exodus. No, dude, it was Dream Theater oh, yeah, and, and Opeth. And I do distinctly remember them playing In the Presence of Enemies, but that's more than likely because I had actually recorded that on my phone. Yeah, and that was also the opener. Yeah, that oh man, that was a hell of a show, man. And Opeth put on a great performance. Oh yeah, fun fact, that Dream Theater Opeth show, that was the only time they ever played Repentance. Ooh, really? Yeah, with Michael Ackerfeld on guest vocals. Hmm. Speaking of which, you know, damn, I wish I remembered that. I was thinking, you know, I think that James Labrie would be awesome if he ever sang for Priest for whatever reason. I think he could pull it off. Yeah, that guy is awesome. And it's kind of a shame that John Petrucci steals the entire spotlight of Dream Theater because every member of that band is immensely skillful. But we are getting a little off topic here. Just a tad. It happens, and it it, it will uh, listen. Hopefully, that'll keep people invested. So, <laughs> because uh, at the end of the day, the format of the show is supposed to be two bros just having a conversation about com- metal. Yeah, and conversations tend to deviate from time to time. 
That's true. Getting back to so, the heads are going to roll. What do we have for fun facts? So this was the second single from Defenders of the Faith, released February mm-hmm. 1984, just one month after the album dropped. The B-side for the single was really awesome. It's the Green Man Alishi from the 1983 Us Festival, which is a legendary performance. So there was a crowd of roughly 375,000 people that's gotta be the biggest audience Priest has ever played to. That is insane yeah. to think about. Three hundred seventy-five thousand. You ever see live performances of them from the eighties, dude? It is an ocean of people, like as far as the eye can see. It's it's kind of like unfathomable to me that that many people would show up for a metal concert these days. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these bands like Priest and Maiden are still pretty popular. They're playing arenas, but nothing on the level of the Us Festival is happening these days. Here's another fun fact about this song, which is incredibly weird, is that it was banned on the 2001 Clear Channel Memorandum. It was a song that was put on a banned list after 9-11. I guess they want to avoid any sort of songs that are even slightly controversial. Yeah, Man, I mean the radio, the radio—they're cowards. I'm sorry, but they are. Like at least in the U.S., like they will not play anything the slightest bit controversial on the radio. I mean, or, especially you, you, if it's heavy music, though. I mean, you're not wrong. I've said in the past that every single classic rock station at some point decided that they were going to cycle the same 30 songs on a loop forever. But yeah, man. And that's so bizarre to me that this of all of priests songs would be banned after that attack. It's kind of a funny thing. Like I remember watching a documentary about Alice Cooper about a lot of his concerts were banned, you know, because people didn't want him coming to town. And he actually genuinely didn't understand why, because there was no swearing in his shows. There was no nudity in his shows. But the thing that people really latched onto is that there was blood in his shows. And he brought up a really good point. He said, I mean, there's more blood in Macbeth than there is in my show. And that's required learning in school. Yeah, that is a super violent novel. Yeah, and a man. lot of Shakespearean works were violent. Mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet has a lot of death in it. And it's true. We read some stuff in school that's messed up. We had to read the Odyssey in ninth grade, which has like probably the highest body count of any book I've ever read. <laughs> so allow me now to bring all of this full circle back to some heads are going to roll. A popular theory of the time because people don't know this now, but Shakespeare was considered very lowbrow at the time that he was writing plays. It was considered something that the peasantry would listen, would watch, and they would go to his shows. It's like, oh, those are the dirty people going there. The theory is that Shakespeare was like putting subversive messages into his plays and specifically targeting the lower classes so that he could spur on social change within society. Now, I remember studying Shakespeare in high school, and my teacher actually had said that Shakespeare was known to do a lot of lowbrow humor, 
and a lot of highbrow humor as well Mm -hmm. so that he could have stuff in his plays that would appeal to everyone Mm. in order to and that's why he became so incredibly popular it's because everyone could find a joke to laugh at or something they liked in his plays Mm. in that sense it's sort of like the simpsons or south park of its time where Mm. they would have humor that would just appeal to a variety of different audiences highbrow and lowbrow and everything in between yeah i and i understand that there is a lot of lowbrow humor in shakespeare i don't remember if this is hamlet or macbeth but there's this one character who shows up for like a page if that like half a page called the porter and he's just this drunken lout degenerate (laughs) asshole and i thought it was the funniest goddamn thing in the world when i read that book whatever play he was in and i thought damn dude this guy is funny as hell i would hang out with him yeah straight up but i also love that it's kind of like an out sort of like a thing it's kind of outmoded now you have like one character who shows up for like half a page to fulfill a very specific role and then you're done after that. Hey, listen, you know, it's not like that's unheard of. Yeah. Like, just look at uh, George R. R. Martin novel and the all little anecdotes he puts in that are so inconsequential. But they're there to sort of enhance your understanding of the world or maybe just give you a laugh. Like that senile old man and all he can say is, I held the bridge against the <laughs> One of our best running jokes. I mean, listen, it is a reflection of real life. You some you run into a lot of people every day that you never see ever again. So now let's see if we can tie this back to priest. Because we were just talking about the way that there's sort of a little bit of highbrow mixed with lowbrow in Shakespeare. Mm. And I think that you might find something like that in a Judas Priest audience, because Mm. that's also a band that can appeal to a lot of different people. And if you just want to have a real simple relationship with the music and you're there just to bang your head and have a good time and sing along and you don't want to think about the lyrics real deeply you will have fun at a priest concert yes and conversely if you're someone who really studies the lyrics and they make a big impact on you and you sort of get to know the deeper meaning behind the words and really think about it then there's also that appeal as well so like there's something for the different types of audiences, whether they're someone who's studied or someone who's just there to have a good time. Yeah. It's something that struck me um, is that I found out years ago that a lot of people don't pay attention to the lyrics in songs, like in like across the board, people like just don't know or care about what a person is singing about. And that that really struck me because I list I like overanalyze the shit out of every song I listen to, and it just kind of struck me as funny. But at the same time, like if you don't want to look too deeply into a priest song, you can still have a ball listening to them. And if you want to go a little deeper, like we're doing right now, then there's also that for you. Like the broad appeal of this band is part of the reason they are as huge as they are. And I've always said that there's a little bit of something for everyone, no matter what era of this band you're listening to. So their broad appeal is a part of their staying power. Yeah. And speaking of staying power, Judas Priest performed this song incredibly well on the firepower tour in 2018 and 19 and it's kind of crazy that they used to play it every night they stopped for decades and then they brought it back like nothing ever happened and (laughs) to me that's just validating how much of a timeless song this is because the message 
is certainly not outdated. There are always going to be people who are oppressed. And unfortunately, there are still tyrannical governments in the world, Mm. maybe not the part of the world that we live in, but it's going on. It's still happening. If you want to know more about it, you can listen to the Behind the Bastards podcast, but let's not go down a rabbit hole there. Yeah, really. That's (laughs) because I because if we're talking about Behind the Bastards, I'll sit here and talk all fucking night. You and me both, brother. (laughs) So, oh, uh, yeah. Anyway, the song is back. The band is still performing it at a high level, and it's it's not too taxing on Rob Halford's aging vocal cords Mm. and. The original song, the first solo is Glenn Tipton, and the second yep. solo is K.K. Downing. In 2018, it's uh, it's Richie Faulkner doing the first solo, mm-hmm. so he's actually taking Glenn's lead, and Andy Sneap is doing the second one. He's doing K.K.'s part. And Richie, he embellishes, as he tends to do. Yeah. He definitely adds some flourishes and some additional notes into the solo. Yeah, And whereas Andy Sneap, he plays it a lot more straight and close to what it was on the album. Yeah. I will say Faulkner is, he's a flashy guitarist, but not in a way where like he's showing off all that much. You know, I think it's just kind of his style. He's not up, up on stage jerking himself off, but he is definitely throwing in some interesting bits that keep you invested in the song. I think, Dare I say Faulkner is probably the cleanest guitar player that the band has ever had. Now, I don't know that his songwriting abilities are up there with Glenn or KK, but he does play every song flawlessly. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. That's immensely skillful. Let's take a quick back-to-back listen of Glenn versus Richie doing the solo. Please. that like removing it from the set list for what like a decade or two and then just bringing it back is kind of like if you're like if like your uncle just disappeared one day and no one said anything about it and then 20 years later he showed up again and it's like he never left and everyone's just acting like he's been there the whole time (laughs) (laughs) i like that comparison yeah it's kind of true and like when priest played some heads are going to roll live the crowd was loving it and it's sort of like you almost can forget that it's been so long since they played it because it feels like a natural fit just in the middle of the set list like you can play this song you can put it almost anywhere in the set list and people will have a good time yeah well that's when you ask your uncle where the fuck have you been then he goes don't worry about it let's go fishing and you're like "Eh, okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah man like it's really like you know we talk about this a lot on this show is that it's just so cool that they're deciding to bring back their old classics it's really given the fans a lot to chew on it's a lot of fun you always have something different to look forward to and on any given tour, one night is not the same as the next. Right. You can be Kiss and play the same set list every night for decades, and you can earn a paycheck, but your fans will always be annoyed and they will always complain. Not to say that Kiss would necessarily care because they have all the money in the world. Yeah. Well, Priest, you're also, I think they care about their fans. enough to play these obscure well not obscure songs Mm. they care enough about the fans to play a broader variety of the songs and in that same vein they also care about their art it's like 
the tour they're on now is so aptly named the 50 heavy metal years tour. And it is totally appropriate that they're wanting to play a broad range of songs from their history because they've done so much of it. And this tour they're on, it's all about celebrating that history. And it would be a shame if they didn't do that because it's 50 years of history, man. There's a lot to cover in that time. Why wouldn't you want to bring back Rockarola? Why wouldn't you want to play One Shot at Glory for the first time? You know, this is the band. This is a band that if, if they never made another album, they could still do a different tour every single year for the rest of their lives. And it would be fresh every single time. Yeah, you're right. They just have such a huge catalog to draw from. Yeah. And so to sort of wrap up that whole sentiment, I think Defenders of the Faith is a real highlight in their discography. And it's also right smack in the middle. So it's the ninth Judas Priest album. I think they're up to 18 now. Wow. And so this is also 1984, which is the middle of their career timeline wise, maybe a little on the early side. Once you consider that this is a band that's existed for now a half a century. Yeah. But like, uh, isn't that nuts, man? My God. Yeah, man. I'm just thinking about how when I first heard Defenders of the Faith, it was a 20-year-old album, and back then, I thought it was old. Now it's a 38-year-old album, and it's like, god damn, this is really a tried-and-true classic now. It's like people always talk about how much they love this album on Twitter, and people talk, of course, about the other Priest albums they love, like British Steel, Painkiller, Screaming for Vengeance. They all have a huge following and Defenders, it's almost kind of a shocker that this album is as popular as it is in spite of not ever having a hit single. You know, it is fascinating that like the varying levels of success that a band has that have nothing to do with what we traditionally think of as successful. You know, this album might have had any one of these songs might have had very limited radio play, but at the same time, it's, it has a almost like transcendent mythic status among priest fandom. And it's kind of weird to think about, but I've heard people say that artists like Jimi Hendrix were technically one hit wonders because Hendrix, as far as I know, only had one song that was ever on the radio. And he's only one of the most legendary guitar players of all time. Take it a step further. There isn't even any such thing as Judas Priest without Jimi Hendrix. That was, that was KK Downing's hero. Wow. I mean, listen, that's a great hero to draw influence from. I think that what we think of in terms of success is somewhat arbitrary, honestly, especially in like, a commercial sense of the word. But another thing that I want to address real quick, I feel like metal in particular as a genre ages a little more gracefully than 
a lot of others. You know, a pop song, and this is coming from me, a guy, I consume a good amount of pop music. After like a year or two, that's an old song. But when I think of like old music, I think of like sort I think of Screaming for Vengeance. That's an old album. I think of Balls to the Wall or Rain and Blood. You know, those are it, old if albums. If it came out before we were born, that's yeah, an old album to us. Ex- exactly. Metal in particular, I feel like it really has aged like fine wine. Metal that was released 50, 60 years ago is still so easily accessible and enjoyable today, whereas a lot of other genres have kind of passed out of existence and they're just, it's just so dated that, like, don't get me wrong, ev- there's fans of everything and everyone, but I feel like metal has a very unique staying power. Defenders of the Faith, in my book, is proof of that. Defenders of the Faith is pretty timeless. Some Heads Are Gonna Roll is timeless because that lyrical content is still relevant. Yeah. And again, even though it's a, a more specific song, this topic is culturally transcendent because find one country or group like ethnic group that has not had to deal with unimaginable tyranny and oppression and no matter where you come from in the world you can look at this song and it can resonate with you i agree with you man i'll drink to that cheers george i'll drink to that as well cheers tom how's that 11 percent beer treating you this is really, really rich. It's kind of like it, it's it almost reminds me of like a port, like a dessert wine kind of. It's yeah. really heavy. It's not the kind of thing like you don't really pound these back. You kind of sip and savor them a bit. It's a sipping beer. It it's is. a dessert beer for sure. Fuck yeah. Um a hundred percent agree. It's not like you know. Like last week, I was drinking Einstock, and I can crush a 12-pack of Einstock, no problem. But this is something that you definitely, you take your time with it. Tom, what should we leave the viewers with? Hmm. Oh, yeah, I guess we should talk about our upcoming schedule. Yes, absolutely. All right, Metal Maniacs, we are taking a four-week winter break while we are hard at work on the next awesome batch of episodes for season two. So we will be back with our next episode four weeks from now. That will be February the 11th for the anniversary of Stained Class. Mm. So uh, we'll be off for a few weeks and it's a great time to catch up on any episodes you haven't listened to yet. And we will still be active on Twitter and participating in more great metal chat with you guys online. So we're not going anywhere. We're just going to be hard at work on the next batch of episodes that will be coming out real soon. Yes, but we did want to get a new episode and start season two strong on January. As of the recording, this is January 1st, and we really wanted to bring in the new year with an episode about a song that is very near and dear to a lot of your hearts. And so here we are. We'll be back in no time at all. Yeah. And we couldn't miss the anniversary of Defenders of the Faith. Mm. And some heads are going to roll. Kind of sound, it kind of feels like a cool song to start the year with because it's a song that pumps you up. It makes you feel empowered just yeah. on the basis of the lyrical content. And you can really shout along to that chorus, man. Yeah, you can. That's a one, man, you belt that shit. Or even if you're not even at a concert, if you're driving to work, you just fucking go in with that song, man. You will conquer your day, guaranteed. Yeah, and if you have a real crap day coming up and you hate your boss, then <laughs> all the better because you'll hear this song and you'll just think about, yeah, man, one of these days, 
heads are gonna roll. Yeah, Hopefully meta- not literally. Maybe your crappy boss will just get let go. Yeah, like metaphorically speaking, you know, maybe he'll get chewed out by whoever he answers to. So, <laughs> so here's a fun thing, listeners. Tell us about your shitty boss experiences on Twitter. Yeah, why not? Yeah, really. Let's get to know each other beyond just Judas Priest a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. So we want to hear stories about your crappy bosses. Yeah, go on Twitter. Tell us about like the craziest thing that you've had to deal with at work. Mm. I mean, me and Tom, we've both worked retail in the past, so we've seen yeah. some shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a story for another day. All right. Hey, mm. Tom, and I really enjoyed recording this with you, man. Oh, dude, same. But as much as I enjoy recording over Zoom, I'm even more excited to get back into seeing each other in person to do these because we're going to get pretty fucking silly, probably. Yeah. Yeah, which I love. Awesome, guys. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for all your support. You've been leaving us so many nice comments on Twitter lately. We have really great listeners. Yeah, we've got a lot of cool people that. They give us great feedback and the conversations are always wonderful. So I think we couldn't really have asked for more positive attention going into this podcast. So we hope that you all stay locked in and keep defending defending the the faith. faith.